You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanizing work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about things that matter in your career and life and how to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis, and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today, we're in the company of Carolyn Tate. Carolyn is the author of many books, including Small Business, Big Brand, Marketing Your Small Business for Dummies, Unstuck in Provence, a personal memoir, and Conscious Marketing, and coming out soon, The Purpose Project, which is what we're going to talk about with Carolyn today. Carolyn is also the founder of the Slow School of Business, Talk on Purpose, and The Purpose Project Programs. And underpinning all of her work is a commitment to being courageous and growing in consciousness and doing that while operating in compassion and connecting authentically with others in the spirit of collaboration. Carolyn's own business, Carolyn Tate & Co, is a certified B Corp and Carolyn herself is a founding member of Conscious Capitalism Australia. We're delighted to have you here today, Carolyn. Welcome. Thanks, Kylie. Thank you for the invitation and that um, wonderful introduction. That's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be talking to you about your new book, The Purpose Project, today. But before we jump into that, I would like to just go back a little bit and find out a bit about young Carolyn and Carolyn as a child and the kinds of things that you really love to do as a as a small person in the world, as a young person in the world. What kind of things <laughs> did you find yourself doing as a child? Uh, it's a lovely question and it really had me sort of thinking and reflecting. And I was quite actually a fairly quiet child. I think my mum and dad would always say that I was a, a good girl that I, you know, did what was asked and was probably quite conformed quite a bit. Mm. Um, I grew um, I, I grew up in country South Australia in quite a conservative um, uh, culture, I guess. And so as a woman, as a young girl, I I kind of feel like I had a fairly quiet childhood that was, was sort of uh, very much focused on on being studious and, you know, getting good marks and doing my homework and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, when So I probably, you know, I didn't love that. That was kind of just who I was as a child. But I was very fortunate to grow up in a family that was very sports-oriented. So it was always in winter it was netball on a Saturday and then in summer it was tennis. Um, on a Saturday as well. So I was very sporty, played a lot of sport, um, was quite studious and, and, and a fairly kind of um, moderate child. I don't know what's happened to me today. I'm probably <laughs> the opposite <laughs> now, but kind of like I don't feel like I'm the same person I was when I was a child. But um, there were some really amazing things about my childhood and my family and everything else. Um, had a very lovely, solid family, three siblings, um, country upbringing, uh, lots of friends, lots of bike riding, lots of playing um, in the fields or the, uh, the paddocks around our house and the farm that we used to live in. And yeah, so it was, it was very, very much a country, quiet girl country upbringing until I got a bit older and then things changed. But I won't share them in this podcast as to what happened as I became a, a late teenager and early adult. Well, we might jump into a little bit of that as that as your story unfolds but it sounds like mm. the perfect breeding ground for uh, contemplation and sort of testing things out in the world and finding your feet a little bit having a, a bit of a solid ground before you kind of went out into the world I wanted to also mm. ask you to a, a foundation question for where you're at now in your life and one of the things that mm-hmm. I've my work with people that I work with is to get to know them a little bit better I always try and get them to dig into a little the, a little of the things that they believe in it's such a clarifying question so I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. could you share with us three things that you believe in now at this stage in your life mm-hmm. 
Oh, I love contemplating that question and thankfully you gave me some um, some warning that I was going to be asked that question because I, I could probably sit here and talk all day about the things I believe in and I, to try and narrow it down to a few things that is actually quite difficult but I think there's a few core things that drive me and that I believe in and that underpin all of my work and the first thing is that I believe we're entering the human age and um, that we're entering an age where um, there's going to be mass activism happening by individuals and we've lost our trust and faith in our leaders and people are starting to wake up to believe that they have a contribution to make, that they can actually not be the victim of the world and sit by the sidelines in apathy and, and see what, what is unfolding there's a lot of citizen activism happening and, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. And obviously when um, the inauguration of the 45th president um, happened earlier this year, you know, there were 500, um, uh, sorry, 5 million people marching in 500 cities in 80 countries around the world and it was the largest mass global gathering of personal activism that we've seen. And... I think what happened is that Trump held the mirror up to humanity and in so doing he's awakened people to <clears throat> excuse me to realize that that we actually have control and and so I fundamentally believe that we each need to take radical daily activism we need to take radical responsibility for changing the way we show up at work the way we show up in our families the way we show up in our communities and that, that leading on from that, the second thing I believe in is that um, as adults, we absolutely must be wicked role models to our kids. We can't, um, um, we have to show by doing, not by actually telling, which I think for many parents is a trap that we fall into. So, yeah, so that's the second thing I believe in, that as, as adults, we must be wicked role models to our kids and give them the drive and the passion and, and, and the activist kind of mindset that um, I think the human age is bringing on. So that's a couple of things. And then the third thing is really around, I guess, around minority uh, groups. I've been learning around intersectional feminism uh, and what that means in terms of minority for women in the LGBTQI community, in... Um, Black communities and 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 just the whole idea that we persecute the minority very much in our world, and we've seen that a lot with um, the Margaret Court fiasco that's unfolded in Australia. That um, to persecute the minority is bullying, and I'm passionate about ensuring that that everyone has access to the same love, acceptance, and compassion. Um, wherever they work, wherever they live, whatever their colour, whatever their race, whatever their sexual preference. And as you can tell, I could go on all day about this stuff. But, um, yeah, I just think that these are the conversations we need to be having in business, um, in, 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 in our workplaces, not just the conversations about productivity and profitability and how we can extract greater performance from our people. It's these human things that absolutely must underpin the way people show up at work and how leaders lead their workplaces. Amen, sister. That's all I've got to say on all of that. I absolutely love those beliefs and, and I think those are three that we share quite deeply. And I'm just mm. thrilled to be talking about this with you today because as you mentioned just in your in your comments just then it's not just about productivity and and profit anymore and we need to be having deeper conversations about what it takes to show up at work and be the kinds of people that we want to be and have organisations embrace that and encourage that and be leading the way and they also be the wicked role models that we <laughs> hope to have in the world yeah yeah yeah, and I think that's, you know, and a point on that, Kylie, and, and I know that we share these philosophies fundamentally and I think that the workplace, we, we are so focused on on getting the uh, on the appointed leaders in our 
organisations, you know, that they're the ones that are making the decisions, they're the ones that are responsible for bringing meaning to their workplace, they're the ones that need to be driving a higher purpose and profit. But actually, I fundamentally believe that that's not the case, that that um, the appointed leaders would be overwhelmingly relieved to know that they have purpose activists or they have self-leaders within their organisation that are stepping forward and taking responsibility for bringing more meaning and compassion to their workplace. And so I think that this idea of purpose, it doesn't actually have any hierarchy. It's actually something we can all take a hold of and take responsibility for. And so that's the good thing about the world today is I think that if we show initiative and we have a passion and we want to bring it to the workplace, we absolutely can do that and we have to own it and do that without asking for permission and doing it unapologetically as well. Mm. I think what you've touched on there also requires a lot of personal introspection and awareness about who you are in the world and, and what you're show, how you're showing up. And that, that the belief exercise that we just went through is one of the examples of what I do when I work with business owners and leaders to, to, to reconnect them with the things that they believe about because so much of our behaviour is driven by our subconscious that we don't often spend time to step back and and question ourselves and why we're showing up in this way and is that how mm. we're going to be showing up, which goes to the heart of why you've written the book, your new book that's coming out. Mm-hmm. So there is so much talk, I guess, in the zeitgeist at the moment about understanding your why and understanding mm. what what drives you and and how to bring that to the world. And this idea of purpose, which is in the very title of your book, could you explain to us what what it actually means? What does purpose actually mean? Mm. I, I always think a conversation around purpose actually does need to start with a definition. Um, it's it, For many people, it's a very difficult thing to grasp a hold of. So what is my why? What is my purpose? My my reason for being, why was I born, all of those kinds of questions. And for a lot of people, it's almost something that's unfathomable or unreachable or unattainable that they can't actually grab a hold of it. So for me, it's absolutely vital that we ground the definition of purpose into something really tangible and practical and something that we can grab a hold of. And um The definition that I've come across and I share in the book and kind of underpins the book is a definition that was written by a man called William Damon who wrote The Path to Purpose. And he says that purpose is a stable and generalised intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential to the world beyond the self. So there's three kind of core elements to that definition. So it's about accomplishing something. So um, we actually have to adopt a project, have an outcome, have a goal, have something to work towards. And that's why I've called the book The Purpose Project because I feel like we only find out our why if we do something and we actually accomplish something and we test and prototype whether we're on the right path. So that's the first part. It's about accomplishing something. And then it needs to be meaningful to us, which means that we love it when we do it. It taps into our talents and our passions. It taps into our skills and experience and and, um, we feel in flow when we're doing it. It's how I feel when I write books. I just know I should be doing it and there's no guarantee of success, but you still need to do it uh, regardless. So that's the meaningful part. And then it needs to be consequential for the world, which means that it's in service to others it's repairing humanity, it's repairing, you know, environmental issues or it's making a difference somehow beyond the work that you're actually doing yourself. So that's the definition that I use. It's about accomplishing something. It's about doing something that you love, that you feel really like you shouldn't be doing anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also that it's, it's consequential, that it's making a difference to to your corner of the world, your community, your family, your your company, um, those three three ingredients, I think, grounded into something um, meaningful and practical. 
So I want to just dive into the different contexts in which purpose might show up and Mm -hmm. particularly around people who are working, are employed, working for someone else and who are employed Um, and then perhaps people in their own businesses and then perhaps Mm -hmm. even the realm of just our personal purpose Mm -hmm. Do you you see that there's, you know, different kinds of purposes in those arena, in in those different arenas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So an organisation needs to have a single-minded purpose and and we could have a whole conversation around purpose versus mission and values and, and mission, you know, they're the four core components that companies generally build the foundation of their organisation on. Um, And an organisational purpose is very much around why are we here, what's the contribution we are making, Uh, would we actually be missed if we didn't exist? You know, that's a pretty tough question. If you you ask a company, if you weren't here tomorrow, would would you be missed by the world, um, your customers um, and uh, your employees probably? Um, would you be missed? And and are you actually creating products and services that are, are creating superficial wants or are you creating services and products that are meeting um, human needs and solving world problems? And, and, yeah, what is the legacy that we're leaving? And I have a definition of, of why an organisation should exist as well in the book and I believe that organisations exist to leave the world a better place than it was before it existed and to ensure that each individual or stakeholder that's involved in the organisation is able to reach their highest potential and therefore generate prosperity for all. And I like to use the word prosperity because it's a holistic word. It means that all stakeholders are looked after, whether that's your employees, your customers, uh, your suppliers, the planet, uh, your community, but organisational purpose is very, very important to have a very grounded, common purpose articulated and activated that everybody knows and can take responsibility for. And it becomes the decision-making, you know, um, question to ask if we're making a decision, is this decision in line with our highest purpose? Is this strategy in line with our purpose? Is the is the direction or the new product or service we're about to build or create in line with our higher purpose? So I've just kind of shared more around organisational purpose and, and, you know, I've got lots of examples that I share around companies that, that are very, very driven by having a higher purpose. And um, I think I think that's where organisations start, but then they can invite their people to bring their own purpose to work, the BYO purpose, I call it. (laughs) So if one of their employees is actually passionate about environmental issues, how are they actually being enabled to bring their philosophies and their work into the organisation if they're an artist or whatever other passion or purpose they might kind of have, which might be latent but is still lying underneath. How do organisations become the arbiter and the curator of people to bring those things right into work instead of having them kind of perhaps, um, you know, spend a bit of time on them out of work or even not at all? How do organisations look at the way to intersect organisational purpose and personal purpose? And to me, that's where we start to heal and transform cultures. So there are so many questions. My mind feels like it's about to explode <laughs> in all of that. You mentioned <laughs> that you've got examples of organisations that are leading with purpose. Could you give us an example? Yeah, of- yeah well, I'll, I'll share one which I feature in my book, which is a company called Safety Culture, and they have an, um, a workplace inspection app, a safety app called iAuditor, and they're in um, many, many large global companies around the world. And they're about to expand. Um, I've just received $30 million in, in funding, um, venture capital funding to expand their work. And they have a purpose statement, which I believe is, is really, really solid. And it follows a framework that I share 
for companies in how they create company purpose statements. And their purpose statement is making safety available to every worker in the world. And it's really powerful because it has a verb in it. Um, all, all purpose statements have a, a doing word, a verb. It has an intention and it has an outcome. So then their purpose is to, and they call it mission, but I call it purpose. Um, they want to make safety available to every worker in the world. And the way that the um, CEO, the, the founder of the organisation, Luke Anir, actually activates purpose is he takes his people right to the core of where he, his engineers, you know, obviously he has many engineers sitting at their, their desks actually um, developing their app and um, he takes his engineers to go and see what happens in countries like Bangladesh when workplace conditions are um, terrible, when tragedies have occurred in workplace conditions. So, so he really tries to connect his people very much to the impact that their work can actually have um, to get them motivated by the company why um, and to really have a much bigger, higher purpose or a focus on their purpose. So that's just one small example of how companies actually not only have a powerful purpose but also um, inspire and activate their people towards achieving that. They'll do their best work when they know the, the absolute purpose for doing what they're doing mm. <laughs> day to day in coding and building an app for example I don't know if that's a, if, if that if that's just one example of companies that I see that are doing it absolutely I know from your background you have a 20-year corporate marketing career in predominantly in financial mm -hmm. services and the thing that pops to mind in the conversation that we're having is around purpose can all businesses be purpose driven businesses mm. Mm. you know this is such a moral ethical it's such a moral ethical kind of legal um legal issue to discuss isn't it uh i i kind of I think one of the reasons that my work is aimed at the individual rather than the organisation, I mean, I work with organisations but with individuals, but I'm very much around we can transform companies to become more purpose-driven when we can activate people to be there, to work at their greatest potential. And I think every company can have a purpose only when they start to analyse how they can create prosperity for all through their organisation, not just profit that benefits the few, which is what capitalism as a system has created. And, and I think many companies have not yet worked out how they can combine purpose and profit in order to become prosperous and reinvest back into the organisation and their people, but helping everyone be prosperous in that process. We have a very extractive capitalist system that we work in. And, you know, if we can shift organisations to be value regenerative, to regenerate um, all the stakeholders, then that's the conversation we're going to have, you know, to place a judgement on an organisation you know, there's obviously issues around, you know, gambling and tobacco and alcohol and, you know, there's a whole lot of industries which you would say, well, how could they actually have a higher purpose than profit if they're actually creating products that one would deem to be destructive rather than than than, than constructive? Um, it's a very moral, ethical issue and I think that all organisations have the capacity to transform. An oil company can become a renewal renewable energy company, you know, for example. So, yeah, it's a very, very moral, ethical conundrum that companies face, but I think every company has the capability to reinvent themselves and to repurpose themselves so they're working towards um, solving world problems and, and doing something bigger beyond, beyond profit. It's such a fascinating conversation to have right now in the global zeitgeist that we have with so many changes. Mm. 
I think feeling like in the opposite direction, I mean, you, you know, that, that's happened in the, in the last 12 months or so. Um, and so I, I just, it, it does really make me question about how we go about making this change when we seem to be so fear-driven in our culture right now. Mm. And, and, mm. And, and actually, you know, that scarcity mentality and pulling back and putting up dividers and, you know, creating cultures that come first ahead of other cultures, um, mm. it, you know, it really concerns me. And, you know, you mentioned the Women's March at the beginning of this interview and it was, it was such a mirror to be held up, you know, to, to the world to mm. say, you know, it doesn't have to be like this and we're not, we don't want it to necessarily be like this. And it reminded me of, of a conversation I had during International Women's Week, not just day now, International Women's Week, I'm calling it because it seems to be expanding, but that whole idea of <laughs> do we, um, you know, do we need to infiltrate these organisations to disrupt or dismantle them and rebuild them. Mm, mm. And look, and 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 maybe they're not rebuildable. You know, like maybe we need to be, um, you know, the hierarchical structures that organisations exist under. You know, the silos and you know some some of the. Um, structural and systemic issues obviously legal issues and and so on it's all it's systemic you know and can organizations rebuild themselves without actually dismantling totally and starting from the ground up I don't really know but one of the things that I'm passionate about in my book is that organizations need to tap into what I call the purpose activists in their organization so there's a whole lot of people in their organization that are massive risk of leaving the organization and they're going they're either want to be or about to be corporate escapees so these are people that are being driven by purpose and passion they want to bring consciousness to their organization they want their company to be doing good they don't want their company to be driven by performance and productivity they want them to become their organizations to become more human and more um they want to be able to bring their whole self to work not just the part that's going to get the job done and that the leaders will reward and they're they're now driven by intrinsic motivators so carrots and sticks rewards and punishments bonuses and holidays and endless cups of coffee and groovy bean bags and office fit outs you know they're all extrinsic motivators and there are a growing cohort of people in companies that are not motivated by any of that. They want to do meaningful work for a company that's driven by a higher purpose. And the challenge is that these people are going to leave that organisation, yet they're the very ones that the leaders need to keep. And if the leaders can find these purpose activists in their organisation and enable them to infuse the organisation with more meaning to actually give them the um, the leeway and the empowerment to actually start having purpose conversations and helping individuals find meaning, then we can infuse that through the organisation and start to create change within the organisation instead of waiting for our leaders to affect change from above, which I think, you know, like trickle-down purpose, just like trickle-down economics just doesn't work. So, So for me, it's about engaging the people that are doing the personal work outside of work. They're becoming increasingly conscious. They're watching TED Talks. They're reading alternative business books. They're very mindful of environmental issues, of global issues, of um, community issues, and they're, they're activists in their daily lives, and they'd love to actually bring that activism into their workplace. And so my call to leaders is to find these people and give them the tools and the support to infuse the organisation with purpose from all from all angles and all levels. And that might not just be employees, it could be other stakeholders that the organisation depends upon as well. Mm. It sounds like there's the, you know, there is that, the, you need, you need a, a, an evolved leader to embrace that idea and an evolved leader, a personally evolved leader themselves that understands why this is important and perhaps is a bit of an activist themselves as well as the, the push up 
you know, of people speaking up and having the courage to question some of the practices or to propose something different or to get people to think Mm -hmm. differently. I think it needs to happen at both ends. But how, how do we go about getting more in touch with our own personal purpose if, you know, if what it sounds like, you know, there's the call to leaders, but there's the call to we don't need to sit and wait for our leaders to do this. We, you know, we can be the change agents ourselves um, within within yeah. our organisations. Mm. Um, so we start by accepting that that maybe our current work life is not. I call. I I have a practice in the book about surrendering. And and it's such a beautiful word, surrendering. It's just surrendering to the state of our current work situation, whether we're happy at work, whether whether we're not happy at work, what's going on, what's the cause of that unhappiness, Um, just really surrendering to what is and acknowledging where we are now and where we probably would like to be. Um, I I also think that we need to cultivate our curiosity, you know, like... So many of us go to work, come home, feed the family, go to bed, go to work, come home, feed the family. And and we're so focused on existing that we've forgotten to colour wildly outside the edges of our day-to-day existence. We don't go out and we don't dance, we don't go and see live music, we don't like we don't do all these things that are participatory. I think that we're very often voyeurs. We we read the paper, we go to a play. We go and watch a movie, we go and watch our kids play sport, whatever, and we're actually not participating, we're spectating. And so part of finding your purpose is to get insatiably curious and get interested and interesting and actually do things, whether that's painting, whether it's going to a dance class, whether it's whether it's writing writing a book, whatever it is, actually untapping into those creative talents. That's just a couple of the, the practices that I share in the book Um, and they kind of go with the idea of tapping into the ikigai model which is the Japanese term which means reason for being and that model taps into the four circles of each of us as a human what we can actually explore is those things that we are good at what we love what the world needs and what we can be paid for now, most of us are doing working in the two circles of what we're good at. So we're using our talents or our strengths or whatever we've been trained in to do alongside with what we can be paid for. And those two circles are all about kind of working at our profession. And our, prof- our professions are very rational and functional thing. Very often we don't bring in that, that, that circle of what you love or what the world needs. And they're the two circles that we try to integrate into our work so we can get them to dance all together um, over time. Uh, that model forms the basis of, of the book and how we can start exploring. And I've got 50 questions in the book that people can journal on to kind of get a bit of clarity. Um, but we learn our purpose through, we, we learn our why or we discover our why through, through doing, um, not by dreaming, but actually getting out there and and doing something and then really feeling, not thinking, feeling into how we feel when we're actually doing that thing. That's how we work it out. And, look, you know, it's it's something that takes years and years and years to to do, but we have to um, just start is my my point, just start. And do you think that we need to have our why worked out and have that overflowing into our everyday working lives? Yeah, look, you know, the, the I don't think it's, you know, to be really honest, I think our why evolves and we can have a purpose in different facets of our life. So we might have a work purpose, we might have a um, family purpose, we might have a... Um, a relationship purpose, which I think is really important for relationships to have a higher purpose for being together. Um, so I think we can have lots of whys depending on different areas of our life. But my book focuses particularly on work, given we spend, you know, almost half our life at work. We might as well use that as the, the, the start 
of the examination of purpose. And, yeah, I think we can all um, bring our why to work, absolutely, and it just starts with being curious and exploring. And we can have, you know, that purpose can also change. Sometimes misfortune or good fortune can happen in our lives where just all of a sudden uh, where we thought we were going in one direction towards this purpose, it just gets totally sideswiped. And so we also have to remain open to the beautiful universal possibilities. Um, but having a why or having a meaning beyond beyond our day-to-day existence allows us to deal with the day-to-day dross or even the tragedies that we actually experience through our life. If we've got something to work towards beyond that, then it gives us um, meaning and something something that we can that we know that we have that is keeping us um, focused and inspired to to keep going. I use the word inspiration in my book. I I totally made it up. It's a cross between inspired and action, and and inspiration means that basically um, you know inspiration without action is nothing, and action without inspiration with true without true inspiration cannot worth be deadly you know so like we need to be taking inspired action towards this thing and also I say have fun and not get hung up on it you know like I'll see people who totally know their why and they're so in the zone and they do not like anything usurp their commitment and dedication towards achieving that and that's fantastic and then I see a lot of people who are curious about everything who have no real clarity and that's okay as well because you know being being in being curious is great being incurious is 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 you know really the, is the cause of death you know the minute you lose your curiosity the minute we die i think <laughs> and i uh, seeing my kids go through primary school and and going into high school it's one of the things that you so want to hold on to is that there is more than one answer to a problem. There is more than one right way mm. to do something. And it's a really tough struggle, you know, raising children in an environment where you totally want to keep their curiosity and their creativity and harness that. Mm. And also, you know, raise a, a, a responsible citizen who understands you know, the, 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 the mores of, you know, being part of our community. And there's a whole nother conversation we could have about education. But one of the things I loved <laughs> before was that your why can also evolve and change over time. And with the beliefs exercise that I do with every, with all of my clients, your beliefs can also change over time. So one of the things mm. I stepped back from when I was ever challenged about, you know, so what are your values, you know, that whole kind of thing, was they felt like I had to make this in stone, you know, written in blood kind of commitment that, you know, if I didn't stand by this for the rest of my life, I was a flake. But as soon as I was able to step back from it and say, well, this is where I'm standing at this point in my life and these are things I believe in, but give myself the grace to grow and through curiosity, you know, expand my worldview, it was, it kind of, it, it, it took the the heaviness out of it and said, well, it's okay, you know, for mm. you to be able to own mm. that for where you are in, in your life right now. You're not the same person that you were when you were 20 and you're not going to be the same person that you will be when you're 60. So it's okay mm. to, to be here at this point and to give ourselves that permission to say, this is where I'm at right now and hold that. Yeah. And yeah. One, one thing yeah. I, I look. Go ahead. I just was gonna. So I was just gonna share something with you around my own highest purpose. So I believe. Um, so my highest purpose is to write books that truly matter. And I never had the courage to call myself an author or to say that I, or to own that 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 purpose and to say that I am here to write books that truly matter. Now, my next book isn't a business book. I've already got it in my head. I've, it's going to be a novel. I've got the theme going and the characters and it's already in my head. And I know that um, writing books is actually my highest purpose and it's the thing that when I'm doing it, I don't think I should be doing something else. You know, I, I'm, I'm writing and it just feels like there's nothing else that 
I need to do. And if I was told tomorrow that I couldn't write books, any more books, that I couldn't write full stop, um, I wouldn't want to tell you the ramifications of that. And I think it's a rare person that can get to that point where they just know they have work to do without any guarantee of success. I do not know how this new book is going to be received. I have no idea. But I just, even if it's not well received, I still know that I'm going to write my next book. And I think that's, you know, and that's taken me seven years of exploration. I will have written five books in ten years. And I don't say that to brag. It just, I'm saying that to show that when you keep showing up and having to write, having to do that thing and do that thing and do that thing regardless of what other people think because putting your art out into the world, as you know, Kylie, Mm -hmm. is the most, (sighs) it takes your breath away. You know, it's so fear-inducing. You know, sometimes I've just felt like last night I came home from Queensland and I went to bed and I was just like, I was gripped in this panic of fear. Like my whole body was just like, like, gripped with fear about the fact that I'm about to release this book and and I think that that's a good thing I'm not judging that it's good or it's bad it just shows that I'm human and I'm still pushing forward to do this work despite the incredible fear that I was feeling and so that's what we're trying to aim towards I think (laughs) it's it's the courage to show up when there is no certainty and that's the very definition of vulnerability. And mm. part of the reason why we operate from fear is because we're afraid of being vulnerable, because we're afraid of putting ourselves out there and the judgment and the, mm. the rejection mm. and all of those things that come with the idea of seeing vulnerability as a weakness rather than it being seen as mm. our greatest measure of courage. And, uh, you know, mm. when you are deeply uncomfortable, like you mentioned, <laughs> You know, the kind of like waking mm. up in the middle of the night going, what the hell am I doing? What the hell am I, you know, am I, am I? Mm. it's the sign. It, it, that's the sign that we need to say this is important work to us. And it's looking for those cues in our lives that says, I can't but help do this. You know. Yes. Yeah. I, I think. Beautiful. You know, you know, I was at a, a, a conference on the weekend with a bunch of creatives and it was, they were talking about, I don't really have a choice in whether or not I do this. It's just the way mm. I'm drawn to be in the world. And, you know, we yeah. so often hide in fear of what what that might look like if we dared to show up like that because it's vulnerable and it's uncertain. But Mm. the question that I was actually wanting to ask you, which led into this conversation, was what's the cost of not doing that? Mm. Well, the cost of not doing it is that we we live an unfulfilled life. That, you know, the book that Bronnie Ware, who's a palliative care nurse, wrote, she interviewed, uh, it's called Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and she interviewed... um, uh, many, many people in their last days before they were dying and she asked them what their biggest regrets were and uh, the number one regret was not living a life true to myself and living the life that others um, had dictated for me, so, something to those words, like not living a life true to myself, not having the courage to live a life true to myself. And, you know, and I think that that, is a really, really interesting, you know, courage to live the life true to ourselves. You know, really we, we've come out of the industrial age of where, you know, we've been, we've been all um, indoctrinated to believe that um, to become workers and consumers and the more we consume, the more we need to earn and work and then the more we need to, cons- you know, the consumption We've been we've we've been given this very very um, flawed and um, unhelpful definition of what success really means, and that definition is very much attached to money, money and um, um, 
qualifications and job titles and the car we drive and the things that we own. And um, that is actually, you know, part of what we need to do is to redefine what success means to us and to think about when we do are on our deathbed or when we are remembered after we're gone that we actually did all we could to make an impact and to do what we're passionate about and not conform. And, um, you know, we, we live in a very conformist world and the world needs more healers and and um, change makers and renegades and artists and creatives and, and we need those people to, to balance this insane um, imbalance that we've, we've created in the world. So, yeah, so the cost of not actually going on this path and by the way, I would say, Kylie, you don't need to run away from your job, you know, and start all over and go and find your purpose in another country or another company or or start as an entrepreneur. I think we've been sold this myth that you can you have to find your why outside of where we are right now at work. And that's actually, that's a total myth. We can start right where we are no matter where we work or who we work for. It's about taking personal responsibility and 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 often, yeah, it's it's that thing finding the courage to do that thing we've always wanted to do, or that we've just been inquisitive about, and to give it a go, and see where it leads us. So one of the things that uh, Brene Brown talks about in her work, where you know we put on hold the things that light us up or that we feel purposeful about, you know, the cost of not being yeah. on purpose in our lives, is that it. it it shows up in the social science research, you know, that that is the foundation of anxiety, depression, addiction, rage, resentment, and even, you know, inexplicable sadness or grief in our lives. So the cost of not exploring this work, I think, is actually enormous. And, I, you know, when we see some Mm. of the patterns of behaviour in our society of what's happened and the disconnect between who we really are and, you know, how we want to be in the world and then what's being, what's expected of us or what we're sold, as you just mentioned, the costs are, mm. you know, absolutely enormous. What, ha- what happens if you are someone who does this personal work and in doing so finds yourself in, in a job or, you know, a situation like that where you realise I'm completely in the wrong place or working on the wrong thing or I need, I actually do need an overhaul. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily need to throw all the chips on the table and start again. It, it, how, what, 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 what is a step forward into, you know, if you're in your work and you realise, hey, I don't want to be you know, a debt collector anymore um, because it's not working yeah. for my higher purpose or I don't want to be a parking inspector anymore. Um, what, yeah. what, where, where do you start? Mm. I, I believe that we all need to start where we are and it's not an either-or scenario, it's an and-and scenario. So if you are a debt collector and you don't know what your purpose is, stay at your day job and start to explore things outside of work that will light you up, that you get excited about, that taps into your curiosity and your creativity. We need courage, creativity and curiosity. And so my view would be work, um, find some projects, create a project, um, that you can work on outside of work that will help you gain more clarity around that. And then most often there's not really – most often that that project in some small way may be able to be integrated into your own work. Um, so I remember, for, for example, I was speaking to a litigation lawyer um, after I was um, at a conference recently and she was a young girl and she told me that she – you know, hated her work and she was going to give up her job and go travelling and then see what would happen, maybe start her own business. And through some exploration, because the secret to purpose always lies in our past, I can tell you it's always there, it's in your history, it's not out there in your future, it's something that's just waiting to be tapped into. And the, the, 
I asked this uh, young woman, I said, well, what are the things that you loved as you were growing up? And we talked about her passions and her pains. And and one of the things that she loved when she was at university was um, she headed up this um, mentoring program for women in law. So she was matching women studying law with women that were already practicing law to help them get some kind of grounding on what it's going to be what their future would be like as a lawyer and to give them some guidance, etc. And she said that she absolutely loved building that community. She loved connecting women. She loved talking about law and the, you know, the it's a very male-dominated industry. So she she shared some of the issues and topics that she was passionate about that are problems within the industry of law. And and so through the course of the conversation, I challenged her not to leave her law firm. I challenged her to pitch a purpose project to her partners, all the P's there, pitch a purpose project to her partners, <laughs> and to actually say, can we as an organisation build a women's community, a mentoring, a women in law mentoring program? And to this day, I don't know if she did that, but... This is an example of how if we're ingenious and creative, we can tap into something that we could be really passionate about and actually bring it into our work. And you could see all the benefits of a a litigation firm actually supporting a women-in-law mentoring program. You know, there'd be a massive opportunity for that organisation to set themselves apart from other organisations to be seen to be um, mentoring and supporting up-and-coming women-in-law and so on and so on. I couldn't see any reasons why an organisation would not support a young woman wanting to bring that kind of initiative into their organisation. So this is why I say where we need to start where we are. Even if you're a debt collector, the people that you're dealing with are going through extreme pain and and, um, um financial difficulties, et cetera, et cetera, what can be done to alleviate that pain? What can you do to behave in a way that makes your job helpful, compassionate, meaningful, and so on to those particular people? So we all can activate something within our work and we we might activate it outside of work and see how we can bring it in or over time we might go and do something totally different with that. But my number one advice is not to run away from where we are because in our world we're taught to run away from pain. We dull it with addiction, with alcohol, TV, you know, digital devices and so on. And so instead of shining the spotlight on the pain that we're not happy where we are, let's try and bust through that and have the appropriate conversations to kind of see how we might actually bring our why to work. If we can't bring our why to work, then maybe we need to leave and find something else. But my, my my number one advice is always start where we are. Can I also just ask you in the work, that that's amazing. I love everything. And I wanted to ask you in that process of helping people uncover their why, which you did with the, with the lawyer, do you ever use the five whys technique? Why is that important? Why is that important? Why yeah. is that important? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I the question, the and the question is the is the thing here, Kylie. It's the quality of the questions yes. that we ask that will determine the quality of the answer, which determines the quality of the deed. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel like um, the, per- the the fundamental uh, success to finding your why is the quality of the question that you ask, and the why is that important question. Yes. <laughs> Yes, because when I, again, when I've done that with my clients, it always lands in in some realm of being of service to others. Always. Always. Even Always. It doesn't matter how you do that and, and, and what contribution you bring, but if you can tap into that and have something outside of just yourself, it's always the things that people light up, experience goosebumps, start tearing up about when they really, really get to the heart of why it is so important that they do what they do. Mm. And so I was curious yeah. if, you'd had that, if you'd had that similar experience. It's been yeah. 
So amazing to speak with you today, Carolyn. And in wrapping up our conversation, my last question to you, and there's been so much in this that's so rich in this conversation, but if we had to boil it down to three things that you hope people take away from these conversations today, what would that be? Firstly, I would say I've already talked about start where you are and really develop a a sense of curiosity to explore those things that are beyond the day-to-day existence that we all tend to live in and creativity alongside of that. Everything that's beautiful that remain in the world will be rooted in both courage and creativity, whether that's a book, a piece of art, music, whatever it might be. So creativity is very much the part of us that's been dulled through our work and so I'd be encouraging people to get curious and get creative outside of work and I'd be asking them to adopt a project. We didn't talk a lot about projects and what a project might look like but the only way you discover your why is by doing and actually testing and prototype and experimenting and actually if we take away that idea of failure like There's no such thing as failure. We only fail if we don't learn from that experience. And so really thinking about what would you do? I heard this question the other day. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail is a really good question. But I'd also say an even more powerful one is what is the thing you would just have to do even if you did fail? The question that I've heard that rephrased is what's worth doing even if you did fail? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And, and, I, and I think the quality of the questions, you know, um, the book, my book has 50 questions that we can journal on to determine the patterns that keep coming up. There'll be words, there'll be themes, there'll be something that keeps coming up time and time again. And they're signs. And I think a lot of um, synchronicity happens, you know, noticing, paying attention, noticing the opportunities and the people that are coming, the people that appear, the opportunities and circumstances that appear around you as you're doing this work. And start small. Here's my last piece of advice. How do you eat an elephant, Kylie? One bite at a time. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't kind of go for this big universal why of like, you know, like that's too massive. Pick yourself a small project, set a six-month limit on it, give yourself an outcome, set yourself some milestones, know what it is you want to achieve, but more importantly, your why, and let the how unfold a little bit loosely. I'm a big believer that the how is not always set in concrete, um, that it happens um, yeah, a bit more fluidly, but um, pick yourself a project and just do it and test your sense of joy as you're doing it. How am I feeling about this? Am I happy when I'm doing it? Do I itch to do it while I'm, even if I am so busy, I still make time for it, you know? Um, And that's a really important thing is just try something, just do it and see how you feel about it. Amazing, and we could keep talking for hours. I we could. <laughs> I, I, I am going to just ask, where can people find out more about you? Okay, um, they can find out more about me at carolyntate.co.co, carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, T-A-T-E dot C-O. Um, they can buy the book there. There's a sample of my book so they can get a taste test of of the book um, on my website. Um, the book will be available very soon. Um, and, yeah, that's that's what they can do and get started on our why. Let's start a purpose movement across the globe, Kylie. I'm with you, lady. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> it's been great to be in your company today, Carolyn. I look forward to reading the book when it launches and thank you so much for sharing all your insights and wisdom and for putting your work out in the world. It's important and I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Kylie. Thank you, everybody. Bye. That's all for this episode of In The Company. I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life. 
To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our channel. And if you've loved what you've heard today, please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company. And finally, if you feel so inclined, we'd be super grateful for a review on iTunes. Bye.